If you know me well, you know that I am a passionate lover of coffee. I love different coffees from different regions of the world. I love different types of coffee from espresso to drip coffee. And since moving to Vancouver almost 20 years ago, I have immersed myself in coffee knowledge. I've worked in cafes. I've studied to receive the highest level of coffee knowledge training available within the coffee company I worked for to the point where I think, yeah, I I think I would proudly call myself a coffee snob. And it amazes me when I talk to people who don't share my passion for coffee, how easy they think it is to make a good cup of coffee. How hard can it be is usually the answer I get. Sometimes I want to reply to them, well, it must be hard because that cup of coffee you served me is not great. But that wouldn't be a nice way to respond. And don't get me started on the essentials of a good cup of coffee. Things like the freshness of your beans, the proportion of the coffee you're using, the freshness and the temperature of the water and the grind size of your coffee. I guess what I could say is that I fancy myself a bit of an expert on coffee. Today in our society, we live in a world of experts. Everyone is an expert on everything. Because of things like YouTube and the general pervasiveness of information on the internet, we can think of ourselves as armchair experts on everything from automobile mechanics to complex financial investing. Often, a feeling of being an expert today is based on a very convincing argument, but a relatively small sample size of information. We live in a society where we have a little bit of information about a lot of different topics. You may have heard it said in the past that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Psychologists even have a name for it. They call it the Dunning-Kruger effect. People with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. Right now, we are in the middle of a series called Life Hacks, where we are going through, verse by verse, a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to the church in ancient Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. Paul was writing a letter to them to address different problems and issues they were facing. And apparently, one of the issues that had arose was the issue of what the Bible calls spiritual gifts and how those gifts were supposed to be used. The Corinthian church seemed to be positioning themselves as experts in this area, but the truth with them was similar to the armchair experts of this current age. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Now let's begin by reading the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Let's summarize where the Corinthian church was at with this issue of spiritual gifts. The Corinthians apparently had a lack of knowledge concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 1 indicates they were uninformed, and other translations say it was misunderstood. Add to that that the Corinthians had previous experience with supernatural counterfeits. Verse 2 and 3 tell us they had experience with pagans and idols. So let's begin our look into this by getting on the same page about what we're actually talking about. Let's start with some definitions. Well, spiritual gifts are by nature spiritual and not by nature rewards, and the giver is God. The word for spiritual gifts here is pneumatika, and it literally means something given to the human spirit that has its origins and strength in God. And it's important to reiterate, especially in the context of the Corinthian church, that they are gifts, not rewards. The word most often used for spiritual gifts in the New Testament is charismata. It means something given out of grace, favor, or special kindness. It has the same root word as the word charity. Spiritual gifts are given directly by God through his spirit. 
The reason this is important to mention is because they are not merely natural talents that have been sharpened. They are supernatural abilities that have been recognized and received. Let's go back to our text to refer to verses 4 to 6 and verse 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So now we have an idea of what we're talking about. Let's talk about why these gifts are important. Why does these gifts exist and what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Well, the common function of each gift is the common good of those experiencing it. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 in the NIV says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In the New Living Translation, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. The Greek word here for manifestation is the word phaneros, something readily perceived, understood, and recognized by the senses, especially the mind. These gifts find their purpose in our current world through the common good of people. I used to love it when our kids were really little and they would dress up in a costume and they'd think that I would not recognize them. They'd wear a mask or a coat or with my girls, maybe their princess dresses, and they actually thought I wouldn't recognize them. But they weren't fooling me, and they weren't fooling anyone. I'd recognize those girls anywhere. But the same is true of spiritual gifts. They were given for the common good, and that's how they will be recognized. And if your gift causes hurt or pain to others or is exercised without humility and wisdom, you're not fooling anyone. You're wearing a costume and pretending to be someone you're not. You're actually abusing the spiritual gift you've been given. Maybe you've been a victim of someone abusing their spiritual gift, using it without humility and grace. It's time to recognize that situation for what it is. Someone masquerading and hiding. Don't be fooled by them. Because the common function of each gift is the common good of those experiencing it. Well, is there a list of these gifts? Paul gives us a very general list in verses 8 to 10. And these are all in your outline. And as we go through them, I want to touch on a few. Really, we could do an entire sermon series on these two verses. But of course, we don't have time for that. And you'll see I've listed a scripture reference for you where you can go investigate a time in the New Testament where this gift was used. Well, let's get into it. Number one, the gift of the message of wisdom. This is the God-given ability to exercise superior judgment at just the right time. Quite often, a person who has the gift of wisdom has the ability to be a practical problem solver. They have the ability to counsel others about their situation with supernatural insight. I've been blessed to serve in different churches over my pastoring years. And I remember in one church I served, I really learned a lot about the gift of wisdom by watching my pastor exercise it. He was not a hothead. He did not act impulsively. He was deliberate and thoughtful. And when he came up with a solution, everyone usually said, well, yeah, that, that, of course that makes sense. The next gift is the gift of the message of knowledge. This is the supernatural awareness of facts without the aid of our five senses. Next is the gift of faith. It's a God-given confidence that produces extraordinary results. Now, this is not a naivety or an unwillingness to face the facts. This is a peace and a confidence despite the facts in knowing that God is in control. Now, I know I've shared this before, but God developed the gift of faith in me when we were wanting to have children. I had a peace even after many doors were closed on us that God would make Wanda and I parents. 
I had a God-given confidence. I'm thankful for the extraordinary results God blessed us with in our two daughters. Next, the gift of healing. This is the supernatural ability to bring restoration of health through prayer to those who have a sickness. Now, the story attached to the scripture here in Acts 9 is the story of Peter praying for Aeneas. He prayed for Aeneas and declared that Jesus Christ heals you, and immediately the man got up and walked. Now, you may have heard of the term faith healers, people who think they have the power to heal. That's not actually a biblical idea. All of us can be a conduit or a funnel of God's healing power, but make no mistake, it's his power, not ours. Next, the gift of miraculous powers. This is the immediate supernatural intervention by God into the normal course of the operation of the world as we know it. Next, the gift of prophecy. This is the ability to declare God's thoughts at any given moment. The gift of prophecy can be used to encourage people in things going on in their everyday lives, and sometimes it can be used to give predictive direction and warning for the future. Number seven, the gift of the ability to distinguish between spirits. The supernatural, this is the supernatural ability to recognize identities in the spiritual realm. Next, the gift of the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. This is the supernatural ability to speak words in an unlearned language. And finally, the gift of the ability to interpret tongues. This is the supernatural ability to know directively and intuitively that which has been communicated in a gathering through the gift of tongues. Now, this specific gift has a specific use in a worship gathering uh, like a church service. So let's get really practical. How would I know if the Lord desired to display one or more of the above gifts through me? Well, do you feel prompted to act in a manner not keeping with your natural abilities? Why not step out on a small scale, then review the results with others? This is an important thing to remember about spiritual gifts. Growing in them in community and having others, trusted godly people, speak into that, I think, I think it's really powerful. Think of your beginning to move in this area as a river that begins with a small trickle. A familiar and comfortable path is eventually worn and the power of that flow of water increases. Now the next few verses of 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a mental map to help us avoid these troublesome traps. When we approach issues like this, we often drift into the natural human tendency to compare ourselves to others and, in this case, compare our gifts to others. Paul encourages us to think in terms of the human body. Let's read verses 12 to 20. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You see, the human body is an incredibly varied mass of stuff united by blood. The body of Christ is an incredibly varied mass of people united by the Spirit. Becoming a Christian does not mean we lose our uniqueness. 
The human body is an incredible balance of specific designs and roles. The foot must not feel inferior to the hand. The ear must not feel inferior to the eye. Each part is uniquely and precisely designed. The eye must not feel superior to the hand. The head must not feel superior to the feet. Here is where Paul answers the question, are some gifts more important than others? So he goes on to say in verse 21 to 26, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The value of a body part is not determined by its visibility. What appears to be trivial is actually indispensable. What lacks in visual appearance is given special care. The human body is interdependent. When the smallest tooth inside your mouth gets infected, your whole body knows about it. And all of this applies to the church. Paul leaves no doubt about that when he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. The church is called the body of Christ. That means that these same principles apply to us, especially in our understanding of our roles and in the operation of spiritual gifts. We must not get caught up in the trap of comparing ourselves with others. We are uniquely and specially created for a purpose. We must not get caught up in the trap of equating visibility with value. Just because the mouth does all the talking doesn't mean it should get all the attention. We must not get caught up in the trap of caring only for ourselves. We are called to bear the burdens and share the victories of one another. Finally, at the end of chapter 12, Paul addresses the question, what are the ways God uses people in their gifts? And I believe he answers, yes, absolutely, God uses different people in different ways. Let's read together, starting in verse 28. And God placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now you might think, hold up, it seems like Paul is ranking these different ways when he says first, second, etc. Does Paul rank these in order of importance? Although he begins the passage by using numbers, it seems to be more that he's kind of numbering them off rather than actually ranking them. Paul drops the numbers when he gets down to the third item. Scholars believe that tongues is most likely mentioned last in the passage, not because somehow it's the least among the gifts, but because it probably was in fact the problem he was addressing. Let's look at this list of ways God used people that Paul mentioned. First, apostles. This is one who functions as a leader of leaders and as a builder of churches. Next is prophets. This is one who is known for consistently exercising the prophetic gift. Next, teachers. One who is known for consistently exercising the teaching gift. Then workers of miracles. This is one known for seeing immediate supernatural results as a direct answer to prayer. Next, those having the gift of healing. These are people that are known for seeing ailments healed as a direct answer to prayer, even if it's not immediate. Next are those able to help others. These people are known for a unique sensitivity to and ability to assist those in distress. Next are those with the gift of administration. This literally means someone who's a steersman or a pilot. They are known for their unique leadership qualities. 
Next is those speaking in different kinds of tongues. This is one supernaturally able to speak in a language they have never learned, unaware of what they are saying. Well, let's conclude. We've tried to answer the question, what does the Bible teach about spiritual gifts? We've defined gifts as well as outlined their purpose and function. We've tried to help empower people to know how to step out and express these gifts and grow in these gifts. We've confronted the natural human tendency to compare our gifts to other people's gifts and to exalt our gifts over other people's gifts. And finally, we've outlined the different roles people can have while using their gifts. I hope our time together today has equipped you more than a YouTube tutorial or a blog post on spiritual gifts. I hope our time together today can actually help equip you with what you need to discover and express your spiritual gifts. What does the Bible teach about spiritual gifts? The answer to this question leads us to our life hack for today. Spiritual gifts are given to you through the giver who lives in you. These gifts are amazing and can change the world if we use them with humility and grace and under the Holy Spirit's direction, but they should lead us towards a deeper love of the giver of the gifts, God himself. Some of you have listened to me for the last 20 minutes and you're still wondering, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Well, today there's going to be a QR code on the screen and on your notes that will take you to a spiritual gifts test that our discipleship team has picked out as a great tool to assess what your spiritual gifts are. The funny thing about spiritual gifts is that often you don't know you have them until you need them. Personally, I didn't walk in the gift of faith until God put me in a situation where I had no recourse but to trust him. I didn't know I could exercise the gift of wisdom until I was put in the place where very important decisions needed to be made and I reached out to God to ask for wisdom. All of the gifts we mentioned today are potentially inside of you and God will release them as he sees fit and at a time when you need them. I have prayed for people and they have been healed. But listen, right now, you can pray for someone and they can be healed. As much as anyone or any combination of these gifts used in humility can truly change the world, knowing God is even better. And as much as God can be glorified as we use our gifts, spiritual gifts are great, but the giver is better. Spiritual gifts are given to you through the giver who lives in you. Does the giver live in you? The giver is worth knowing just because of the wonder of the cross and the miracle of being forgiven. And if you've never experienced that forgiveness, if you've never decided to follow the giver of the gifts, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. God, today, I thank you for these gifts that you have entrusted to us. And I thank you that we can use them for your glory. But God, there are people listening to the sound of my voice right now, and they have never even made a decision to begin to follow you. They know, and even as I've been talking, they recognize that they do have some gifts that you've put inside of them, but they have never submitted those gifts to you. They have never come and acknowledged you as Savior and Lord. And that, if that's you right now, I'd love to pray with you. Just repeat this prayer after me. It doesn't matter if the person next to you hears it. It matters if God, that God hears it and knows that you mean business. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm far from you and I want to come close. Please forgive my sin. Give me the wisdom to tell somebody about the decision I've made. And give me the courage to live a life that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a number on the screen right now and there's a pastor on the other end of that number that's waiting for you and would love to connect with you. If you will need to process anything that you heard today, if you want uh, someone to pray with you, if you have any questions about faith, 
They would love to connect with you and help you in the next step in your spiritual journey. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.